So we start with John in uh, chapter 8 at uh, verse 2, and the he that's referred to is Jesus. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, "'Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery.' In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, Hosea, chapter 1. And then going through to chapter 3, chapter 11, and chapter 14. And as I said earlier, I think they show various faces of our Lord. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, King of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Loruhamah, Goma had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, 
and I am not your God. Chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethak of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same towards you. Chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by my, the arms, but they did not realise it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love, to them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities, it will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim, and how can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admar? How can I make you like Zeboam? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I de devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. Chapter 14. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. Thank you, Bronwyn. Strange texts. Uh, we, but we began our service today by, um, with the words, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And this is our story in Christ. Although it is, of course, a strange story. Uh, a troubling story. I uh, remember the first time I heard it as a teenager, I've got to say, it gripped me. And it, uh, you know, I had to do double takes to try to understand uh, what was going on. But it is primarily a story of love. It is a love story. Um, got no PowerPoint for you today, just thought I'd mix and match it, keep you all on your toes. What I'm going to do is leave that text behind me the entire time, so that if at any point you think, really, is that what it says? Or... Um, you just make that up, anything like that. 
Then you can reach to your left or to your right to a Bible at the end of your pews, turn up to page 237 or following, and uh, make sure that what I'm saying is, uh, is what's in these verses. Or you could just look it up now and follow uh, as I open up uh, this remarkable story of the life of Hosea. Let me pray. Father, give us power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Um, fill us, risen Jesus, with a love that is new and deep and fresh for us. And um, we pray that the redeemed tonight would know their story, your story, uh, the story of the greatest love of all, a gritty love, a real love, uh, but a profound one. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grief is the price we pay for love. For two weeks now we've been hearing those words. The late Queen said it after the death of the Duke of Edinburgh. Grief is the price we pay for love. What then is the price that God pays for love? Grief? Maybe. But so much more. We're going to look at the prophets, as I said, until Advent, one week in the whole of Hosea, one week in the whole of Joel, four weeks in the prophet Jonah, with a few things in between. Why? And the answer is because each of these prophets are about the price and possibilities of grace, which has been our theme for 2022. These are old stories, but they are our stories. These prophets all invite us to place an ear on God's chest and hear his heartbeat. They lead us to see what God loves and what God hates. For example, he hates injustice more than you do. They tell the story of God's grace in the life of Israel. Therefore, they display God's splendor to the nations. They show the splendor of grace in the muck of life and they lead us to Jesus Christ. I believe that by reading the prophets, you will see things from God's perspective, not merely your own. You'll hear his heart for his people, for justice, his heart against sin, his heart of relentless, gritty, powerful love, and his heart for restoration and indeed resurrection. Reading the prophets is like getting inside the heart of God and walking around for a little while, inhabiting or dwelling in God. You cannot not be changed. You will be changed. You might even be saved sitting in your seat because these prophets are so confronting, so informative, so powerful. The prophets, major and minor, meaning longer and shorter, spoke to Israel in the south. Let me start again. Israel in the north. I said that to see if you were checking my geography. Israel in the north, like Galilee, for example. Judah in the south, like Jerusalem. In her darkest moments 2,800 years ago, because they are her dark moments, the books are therefore necessarily confronting. It was Frederick Buechner who wrote of the prophets, their quarrel with the world is deep down a lover's quarrel. That's what Hosea is, it's a lover's quarrel. If they didn't love the world, they probably wouldn't bother to tell the world that it's going to hell. They probably would just let it go. Their quarrel is God's 
quarrel. Of course, like most dark moments in history, they force us to take stock of ourselves, to ask questions of our own hearts. The New Testament is clear. We share in Israel's sins, even as we share in her salvation through Jesus Christ. I think the prophets help us to experience God as he is, not merely as we'd like him to be. As I've been saying the last couple of weeks, God's the potter and you're the piece of clay. The temptation in life, and I think the Australian way, is to see myself as the potter and God as the piece of clay. I can mould him in my image. But you don't get to do that, and the prophets will blow that whole exercise out of the water. Today I want to speak in defence of God's gritty, powerful, abiding choice to keep loving a sinful humanity. This is, after all, a story of love, and I've called the talk The Price of Grace. And specifically I'm asking, what does his love look like and feel like from his point of view? What is his experience of his own love? Like if we could have some it's a great question. If we could have some moment of empathy with God, what would you feel if you were truly empathetic of the Lord? The prayer book says of God that his property is always to have mercy. But what does that feel like from his point of view? This property to always have mercy. Is it easy? Is it hard? I believe that Hosea was written to help us to imagine or perhaps reimagine the love of God or to discover the love of God, the divine love of God, for the first time. Not just how wide and long, but also how deep, how deep is the love of Christ. I think Hosea shows us that God's experience of his own love is as a struggle but it's a struggle that he's prepared to take on. I think you see that in these 14 chapters. His love, you heard it a moment ago, is like the love of a person committed to loving a very difficult, painful, willful, and unfaithful spouse. His love is like that of a parent committed to loving his prodigal daughter or son in a far-off land, having been mistreated by that child. He has a deep, deep love, but it's a deep, deep love that overcomes obstacles. He has love with gloves on. He's prepared to fight for you. He has love with dirty hands, bloody hands even. He's prepared to go to the cross. The prophet Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1, page 732. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, interesting name, the prophet is dated in the four kings of the south, one in the north. That places Hosea around the 8th century BC, some 2,800 years ago. What was the word of the Lord to Hosea? Well, you heard it a moment ago, but you should be surprised. You should be bothered. Got two questions today if you're following the outline in your uh, service sheet. What does God's love look like? What is it? And then secondly, what does it feel like? What does the love of God look like? Well, God shows you what his love looks like in this remarkable domestic story of Hosea and Gomer and their little children. God 
the word of prophecy, the word comes to Hosea, son of Biri, and the word is bizarre. One verse two. God says to this presumably single guy, an ordinary fellow, we don't have any sense that he was a prophet before God spoke to him, but God gives him a mission, a mission to go and marry someone. One verse two, go and marry a promiscuous woman. Later we find out that she's a prostitute. So God says to Hosea, take to yourself a wife who's unfaithful from the beginning. Now, if you're thinking, are you kidding? Then I presume you're thinking exactly what Hosea thought. Are you kidding? This is, of course, unique. If some young person came to us and said, uh, God told me to marry a prostitute, I will be having what we ministers call a pastoral chat that afternoon because I will be going to him, to her, and say, the path ahead of you is full of pain. I promise you. Fidelity is key to marriage. The path ahead of you is full of struggle. So why then does God do this? And the answer is because God is the great communicator who works through his prophets in bizarre ways. I'm looking forward to the eschaton, to the end when Christ appears, and I'm going to go up and speak to some of these prophets and say, how did it feel? What was that like? They're unique. God's the great communicator. He is, after all, the Word, and the Word became flesh in the domestic arrangements of Hosea's household. And he tells you what he's going to communicate, namely that he's going to communicate with Israel, with the whole of Israel, by this life, exactly what God is like, a lover who loves, and exactly what they're like, which he says in the next verse, because Israel have been unfaithful, to the Lord their God. So there'll be a mirror up to God and a mirror inside the human heart, or particularly with Israel's heart. And what is God like? He's like a husband. And that might surprise some of us, although it is a theme of the Bible. The transcendent God becomes imminent or present as a lover, picked up in the New Testament as well. But here he's like a particular husband, like a husband who loves his unfaithful wife. Now, we say at lovely weddings here all the time, right here, I stand right in this spot, and I say, marriage is a symbol of someone else's love. Marriage is a symbol of God's unending love for his people. And a lot of people go, oh, that's nice. They feel good about it. But of course, you read it through the lens of Hosea, and you're like, oh, okay, not just a couple falling in love, but rather the gritty love that will do anything keep the covenant made. Hosea then becomes a real-life illustration. Verse 3, he marries a woman called Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and then it becomes a family affair. God says the fruit of this union, or rather the fruit of the infidelity of Israel, is judgment. So Goma has a son, verse 3, God says, call him Jezreel. And you say, that's a nice name. Jezzy, we'll call him Jez. No. Jezreel is the site of a massacre that God will call the nation to account. It'll be like calling your son Auschwitz. Verse 6, Gomer conceives again. They have a daughter, Lo-Ruhamah, which in Hebrew means not loved. In English, you might say disliked. In verse 8, 
she has another son, Loami, which means not my people, which perhaps in English means disowned. So the fruit of their infidelity is judgment and that they will be disliked and disowned by God. You say, wow. But remember, this is first a love story. You can see why Hosea might have avoided dinner parties. You know, I'm Hosea, he's my name tag. This is my wife, Goma, yes. And these are my children, Auschwitz, disliked and disowned. Now, why would God say this? And the answer is that he's saying to Israel what they were like and the fruit of, of their infidelity. He's saying that they were, Israel was created to love God as we are, and God had made a covenant with Israel long ago, um, and had redeemed them out of Egypt, and uh, demonstrated his love towards them, but they disobeyed the first commandment. They fell in love with, with other gods and with everything other than God. So in chapter 4, verse 1, it wasn't read to you. Hosea stands up to the crowd in Israel and says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. See, I think what's going on, I didn't say this at the other congregations, but I treat you as special. Your 6 p.m. is my special group. There you go. I think what's happening in Hosea is Hosea marries Gomer and then stands up in, in, in a court situation in chapter 2 of Hosea with Hosea gathering around, with a nation gathering around to try to figure out what to do with this troublesome woman sort of gathered around this woman to condemn her. And Hosea begins by condemning her, but then it, be, it turns around to be a condemnation of Israel. In other words, all the people that have come to condemn Goma, Hosea says, you're Goma. Right? They've come to throw stones at her. And Hosea says, God is saying, you're her. You are her. So, chapter 4, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land, like Goma, there's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed and God was watching. Now, like Israel at the time, they might have wanted to point a finger at Goma and we might want to point a finger at Israel and say that they are the guilty ones, but we aren't otherwise. You know, you know, we're nice people after all. We could pick up stones to throw stones at Israel, at her, but I'd be nervous about doing that. Here in Australia, God hasn't made a covenant with us like he made with Israel, but he's given us so much, like he gave Israel so much. You think it would be the first to love God. But I think chapter 6, verse 4, and we're going to build a confession out of this verse in just a little while. Chapter 6, verse 4, four, God could say of Israel and could say of us that your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. We need something more substantial. We need salvation, redemption. No, corporately, 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 we are Goma. And that's hard to come to terms with that, but we share in Israel's sin. That's clear in the New Testament. So what does God's love look like? A lover an unfaithful spouse. So does he still love us? Well, in chapter 3, God tells Hosea to return to his wife and demonstrate love to her and indeed to redeem her, to pay a price. So 3 verse 1, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another and is an adulteress. 
even in that state, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. There it is. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I'd love to know what they were. Were they tasty? But the point is, while still a slave, enslaved to another, perhaps a prostitute, still a prostitute, Hosea is told to love his wife in that moment. Romans, 8, Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a price of grace. And that's why Hosea is told in 3 verse 2 to pay a price to redeem his wife, presumably from slavery. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. It's a high price. This is the price Hosea paid for Gomer. There is a price that God pays for grace, for love. And it is at cost, as is Hosea's case, as is the Lord's case, it is at a cost to the one who is wronged. We sang it a moment ago, loved at such a price, this is love, this is love. 1 Peter 1, you were redeemed, not with silver, 15 shekels of it, that's how Gomer was redeemed. In the New Testament, you were redeemed, not with silver, not with gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ. And that then must shape her love for him going forward. Hosea 3 verse 3, Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be intimate with anyone else, and I will behave the same towards you. This is a renewal of the covenant that leads to Jesus. In John 8, a woman is dragged to the feet of Jesus by leaders wanting to trap Jesus. They want him dead. She is an adulterer. They know it. They throw her down in the dusty streets um, in Israel, um, thrust in front of Jesus, what, the man or the men left behind. The whole thing's disgusting. It's so disgusting. They drag her up in front of her feet, a little bit like Gomer with the crowds gathering around. And the leaders, the religious leaders say to Jesus, according to the law of Moses, she deserves to be killed with rocks until she's dead. What say you? It's hard to imagine, hard not to imagine that Jesus in that moment was thinking of the story of Hosea and Gomer. What ought Jesus to do? He could go for license, don't worry about it, we're all a little bit broken, but if he says don't worry about it, he breaks the law of Moses. Or he could go for accountability, he could say, you're right, let's start the stoning, but then the woman dies, she receives no compassion, what do you do? He bends his head down and starts writing in the sand, in the dust. And then he has the tension of the entire throng baying for blood. Somehow they lose their voice. And Jesus says, I think quietly, he says, if anyone thinks that he or she has not sinned, then go ahead and cast a stone. Throw it. Be the first to throw it if you don't think you've sinned. And we read one by one, uh, they drop their stones the oldest ones first. Who knew with age comes wisdom? Sometimes. 
sometimes, because old people, and I count myself among them, can be stubborn. But here, the oldest ones first drop their stones. There's a shuffling of feet. Maybe Jesus has got his head still down until there's silence. And then Jesus straightens up and looks at the woman. They're alone. And Jesus says to her tenderly, is there no one here left to condemn? No, sir, no one. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. How is that not Israel surrounding Goma being told that they've got the problem too? How is this not the love of God to, with compassion to a person who's genuinely sinned? No condemnation. Go and leave your life of sin. What does God's love look like? It looks like a husband loving a very, very difficult spouse. But it's a love that fights for the relationship, leads straight to the redemption of the world by Christ's atoning death on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the price of God's grace. Hallelujah. Now, as an aside, how do you apply a text like this to modern marriages, to our marriages? Well, some of us have difficult marriages or have had them had difficult times in the past. But if you fight, if you fight to keep the covenant that you've made and the love alive, if you struggle, if you wrestle to love your spouse under ordinary circumstances, to be faithful to your wife, to your husband, then in doing so, you may well receive, ironically, a deeper understanding of God's love. You know, if you've experienced the gritty determination to continue the relationship, the covenant. That's exactly, you, you're close to the heartbeat of God. A little bit like those of us who are parents who have a child who is wayward and yet the love is strong. You have the, the love of a father, of a prodigal. You hear the heart of God, you feel it. That having been said, Hosea, the book, is about God's love, not about our own marriages. I do not believe that the prophet Hosea is a reason to stay in an abusive marriage. In fact, Jesus himself says that uh, adultery is a reason to leave a marriage, although not necessarily, but it is certainly a reason to leave a marriage. But this prophet may be a reason to fight for a difficult but non-abusive marriage. Secondly then, what does God's love feel like? Well, there's a turn in Hosea in chapter 11 where the image of God as lover is, becomes the image of God as a father. And in chapter 11, one of my favorite passages of the entire Bible, I committed it to memory, age 18, still can do it off by heart. You gain a brief glimpse into the heart and soul of God. You hear his heartbeat for a prodigal son in chapter 11, verse 1, God says, Israel, you're my son, and I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, which is a reference to the exodus up out of Egypt. What a great reason to love God back. But this son didn't respond to the grace of God in such ways. So in 11, verse 2, we find out that he is a son who runs away to other gods. The more they were called said God, the more they went away. So how does God the Father feel? 
Look at verses 3 and 4. It's so beautiful. And it's an image that every one of us can grasp. He says, It was I who taught a frame to walk, taking them by the arms, those first steps. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I remember those, the laughter as the first steps were taken. But afterwards, they forgot. I led them with cords of human kindness, of chesed, with ties of love. You know, they think of the way in which they were led through Egypt as a leash. And God says, you know, it is a leash, but it's not the kind of leash that you think. It's a leash of human kindness. It's a tie of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Taking a little boy in your arms and letting him walk for the first time, cackles of laughter, I've experienced it a few times. A little girl, up to your cheek. This is how God feels about his son. And yet, will they not return to Assyria? Referring to the imminent Assyrian invasion. And will not swords flash in their cities and destroy the bars of their gates? It feels like agony, this kind of love. And then you get, in verse 8, this deliberating and rumbling cry from the heart of God. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over Israel? And then he says, I'll deal with all my anger and frustration at your sin. I'll deal with it all inside me, inside my own heart. Verse 8, my heart, says God, is changed within me and all my compassion is aroused. My heart is changed within me. That verb to change is difficult to translate in the Hebrew. In the ESV, my heart recoils within me. In the King James Version, my heart is turned within me. In the message, I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My insides churn in protest. The word to change is the Hebrew word to overthrow, to upturn a city. It's the same, use that's word, same word that's used when a city has been sacked. The image being evoked here is that there is a war zone in God's heart. He's sacking his own heart, his own heart being overthrown, which leads to all my compassion being aroused, such that I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate a frame again. I was asked many years ago why Hosea is 14 chapters long, because it says the same thing over and over again. You could distill it all into a paragraph. Let me do it for you. You, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, even though I am your lover, but I will be faithful to my covenant. I will show my love to you and redeem you at a price and shower you with my grace, and I'm just asking you to return to me with words and repentance. There it is. That's it. That's, that's Hosea. So why 14 chapters? And I believe that the 14 chapters gives you a glimpse inside God's heart. God's insides are churning in these chapters, leading to an outcome, no more anger against my people. What does Romans 8 say? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because on the cross of Jesus Christ, God is carrying out his burning anger within his own heart. He's sacking his own heart. This is why the Trinity is so important, that, the, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. It's why Jesus, God the Son, yelled out on the cross to his Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is God's heart recording its sin, churning it up within, and dealing with it out of love, so that 
now because of his grace, he is no longer angry at his people, but he freely loves them. How are we to respond to this loving God? And the answer is to stop denying the truth and to return to God with an honest heart. As the alcoholics say, we need to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of our life. In chapter 14, God tells them what to do. Return Israel to the Lord your God because your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you. That's all you can do is take words with you and return to the Lord your God and say what? Say what to him? Well, God tells you what to say. He says, forgive us all our sins and receive us graciously that we might offer the fruit of our lips. Forgive my sins. Receive me according to your grace that I might lift up my praise to you, which we'll do in a few moments' time, and to say to God that nothing else can save us. We can't even save ourselves. We will never again say our God's to what our own hands have made, for in you the fatherless find compassion. From Oscar Wilde, of all people, how else but through a broken heart may the Lord Christ enter in. The name Hosea means salvation. It's similar to the word Joshua or Yeshua or indeed Jesus. We need to return to God and say, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. Grief is the price we pay for love, said the Queen. The price God pays for grace is the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. Our sins are many, his mercy is more, but he pays that price to win back his people, to see his prodigals return, to see you come to know him. I invite you to do that even as we sing this song in a moment's time, and if you want to respond to this call of repentance and the mercy of God, then let this song go to work on your heart. We'll have a time where we can respond to God with repentance and faith, with some words in a few moments' time, because that's all we've got, and then sing a final song together, and they're both entirely appropriate. And then after this service, come see me because I want to sit and pray with you. Come and see me because I want to sit and pray with you. So do other people up the back of the church, Bronwyn, Graham, others who are here, Jenny Fendler's here. We would love to pray with you. So why don't I pray as we respond? Father, we here now bring words with us. We say to you, forgive us our sins and receive us graciously. We say, our sins, there are many. His mercy is more. Many of us have experienced love in different capacities and forms over our lifetime, but what we're talking about here is a divine love. Show us again this divine love, this love from above that has only mere echoes in human love, the love of a lover or a parent or a child. Mere echoes. And therefore, Father, let us come to you and take joy in your mercy, in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.